0: Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother, Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the Scriptures. Yeah, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come, Follow Me lesson for July 20th through 26th, 2020. This is covering Alma chapters 36 through 38. And now, let's bring out the star of the show, the Scriptures.
1: Ooh, ooh, scriptures, come sit by me.
0: <laughs> Excited to see what you have for us today. And now let's consult the Scripture Matic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading 24 minutes, 58 seconds.
1: Hey, and if you divided that up into a daily reading, what would that be, Mr. Smart Guy? That would be
0: 3 minutes, 34 seconds. Fantastic. So that's totally doable. You guys have handled much longer than that. But let's oh. get into today's study, Alma 36. Now, we talked a little bit about this at the end of our last lesson. Mormon is going to take some time to share some messages that Alma gave to his three sons, Helaman, Shiblon, and Corianton. And so we're going to start with Helaman. His message is in chapter 36 and 37. Now, 36 has had a lot of interesting scholarly discussion on that, And we're not going to go too deep into this, but we are going to tell you where you can go if you'd like to get deeper. Here's the thing. Alma chapter 36 is a very large chiasmus. Now, what's a chiasmus, you might say?
1: Hey, what's a chiasmus?
0: (laughs) You might say that.
1: See what I did there?
0: I did. So chiasmus is a form of ancient Hebrew poetry in which there is a series of ideas That go down in kind of a linear fashion. And then at the halfway point of the chiasmus, those ideas are reversed back out to make kind of an X shape.
1: Yeah, so you get like an A, B, C, D, and then E, and then it's backwards. So rather than A, B, C, D, it's now D, C, B, A after the middle point.
0: Now, this is certainly not poetry as we in America or even Western civilization would recognize as poetry, but it's very much poetry among the Hebrews. And what's fascinating about this for scholars is that chiasmus really wasn't recognized very much or studied until later 19th century, certainly not at the time of Joseph Smith. And this was actually discovered in the Book of Mormon in the 20th century by John W. Welch, a really neat story there. If you'd like to dig deeper into what chiasmus is, and particularly for Alma 36, check the Know Why at Book of Mormon Central, Know Why number 144, we'll put a link out there, and also Know Why number 353, which tells the story of how John W. Welch discovered chiasmus in the Book of Mormon on
1: his mission. It's a really neat story. Now, the Sperry Symposium in 2019 had a paper delivered on this topic, kind of looking at it from a more modern perspective, because there's been a lot of criticism about it as well, and Noah B. Reynolds, you can read a longer version of that presentation in The Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, 2020. It's called Rethinking Alma 36. Really interesting, so if you want to explore it, we'll put those resources in the description below.
0: And if you're not interested in ancient Hebrew poetry, that's fine. We're going to have a really powerful message given by Alma to his son Helaman, and we're going to go over that with you. So the first five verses, verse one, my son, give ear to my words, for I swear unto you that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. I would that ye should do as I have done in remembering the captivity of our fathers, for they were in bondage, and none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he surely did deliver them in their afflictions. And now, O my son Helaman, behold, thou art in thy youth, and therefore I beseech of thee that thou wilt hear my words and learn of me. For I do know that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions, and shall be lifted up at the last day. And I would not that ye think that I know of myself, not of the temporal, but of the spiritual, not of the carnal mind, but of God. Now behold, I say unto you, if I had not been born of God, I should not have known these things. But God has, by the mouth of his holy angel, made these things known unto me not of any worthiness of myself.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: So a couple of things I want to point out here. Certainly in verse 2, there's that key word again, right? Remembering. He's remembering. Remembering what? Remembering the captivity of our fathers. For they were in bondage and none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham. So that key phrase of remembering, of remembering where we've been as a people And remembering what we're trying to do as children of God, what the plan of salvation is, what's the point of our mortality. Now, also, in verse 4 and 5, we get a really important message from father to son, saying, yes, I have preached much about this plan of salvation and about the importance of Jesus Christ, but I don't want you to think that I just know this because I said I know it. This is something That i received from god and that you can too it's very important
1: you know i love the phrase too not of the carnal mind but of god not the temporal there's a lot of people that i come across online who want me to prove to them the book of mormon is true based on a standard that they are very selectively applying to the bible Where's the archaeology? You know, we have place names in the Bible. How come you don't have place names? And that's exactly it. The Lord never anywhere in Scripture says that you should know things via archaeology or, you know, the studies of man, the temporal, but the spiritual. Jesus Christ was right there with Peter, but he tells Peter that flesh and blood did not reveal to him that Jesus was the Christ.
0: Well, and can you imagine trying to use Modern philosophies of men or scholarly functions like archaeology to prove that Jesus is the Savior of the world?
1: Yeah, impossible.
0: How would you do that? Yeah. You can yeah. prove that he may have existed, sure, but that's as far as you can go.
1: Yeah, well, even with the scriptures, you can prove that they are, uh, you know, a historical fiction. But you can't prove that they're the Word of God. So what yeah. he's proving here is it's not the temporal It's the spiritual. It's not the carnal. And that was an interesting thing to think about in that phrasing. I want this physical proof. That's the carnal mind speaking. The Lord wants you to learn how to detect truth with your spiritual mind or spiritual aspect.
0: Once again, Alma helping to define that there are three methods of learning truth. And one of the most reliable is from God through Revelation. So he goes on, verses 6 to 23. This is a recount of Alma's conversion experience with the angel and the time that he was unconscious and so on and so forth. And we learn a lot more about it, and certainly from more his perspective than, say, a record keeper's perspective that we got in Mosiah.
1: Well, and so, right, that would have been, you know, Mormon giving us a summary of somebody else who put together the account because in this version, this is first person. And by the way, these chapters— our first person. They are taken right out of Alma's journals or whatever they were written, but they're in his voice. They're not edited or paraphrased by Mormon. In this version, there's very little of what the angel says. He tells us very quickly that the angel said, If thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. And that's kind of it. He fell unconscious at that point.
0: Some have been a little confused by a seeming discrepancy in this account versus the account in Mosiah where there's a discussion of, was Alma unconscious for two days or three? But there's really not a discrepancy if you look carefully at what each account is talking about. In Mosiah chapter 27, verse 23, it's talking about that the church fasted and prayed for two days. But it's not saying that Alma was unconscious for two days, he was just saying that that was the period of time that they were fasting for. But Alma says that he was unconscious in his Alma 36 account for three days. Not yeah. really a
1: discrepancy. No, it just took time to get people together. The fascinating thing for me to talk about discrepancies between the stories In verse 11, it says, The angel spake more things unto me which were heard by my brethren, but I did not hear them. When I heard these words, if thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church. I was struck with such great fear. This makes it clear the angel seems to be very focused on Alma. The sons of Mosiah were allowed to be there, but the angel was addressing Alma, told him to arise and stand forth, and gave him this challenge to seek no more to destroy the church with the consequence. If he didn't, I find it fascinating, though, that the angel kept on talking, but Alma was gone.
0: Right, and we don't have any record of what else he said.
1: No, but the sons of Mosiah heard it. As he points out, he said, my brethren heard what the angel said. So here he is, and this is where the chiasmus can be very powerful. If you look at the structure that I've laid out here, there's an amazing part in the middle of these verses You know, in verses 6 through 9, he goes about seeking to destroy the church, but then his limbs are paralyzed in verse 10. So in these verses where he's talking about not keeping the commandments and that he was tormented with the pains of hell, and he goes on in 14 about the very thought of coming to the presence of his God did rack his soul with inexpressible horror. He wanted to cease to exist. That's where we get to the key of this chiasmus. He was harrowed up by the memory of his sins and then in verse 17 he remembered that his father had spoken of one Jesus Christ a son of God and he calls upon them. That's the moment. And then look at the reversal. Rather than being harrowed up by the memory of his sins, the pains of a damned soul we have phrases in 19 and 20 like he was harrowed up or harrowed by the memory of his sins no more now to be harrowed like if you're going to harrow up the ground it's to break it up it's to take the hard soil and bust it so that there's room for the seed so he was being torn apart by the memory of his sins but now he is not torn up anymore by the memory of his sins and he is filled now with a joy as exceeding as what is his pain and he described his pain in verse 16 the pains of a damned soul now he had joy to exceed that pain. And now instead of being frightened to be in the presence of his God, in other words, that phrasing, if he was brought into the presence of his God, that idea did fill his soul at the end of verse 14 with inexpressible horror. But look at the contrast in verse 22, the opposite of that. Yea, me thought I saw, even as our father Lehi saw, God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numerous concourses of angels, in the attitude of singing and praising their God. Yea, my soul did long to be there. So what happened between this one half, then verse 17, and then the other half? There's a great phrase that was written for a series called The Chosen, which we really recommend. I'm sure... Many of you have seen it. If you haven't, it has our highest recommendation. Understanding, though, that it may not be for everybody, but we loved it. If you ask us, we'll spend a long time telling you why. (laughs) In the show, which follows a kind of a possible story of what these people that Christ chose to be his disciples, what was their life leading up to this? There's a moment where Mary, who's already been healed by Jesus at this point, is speaking to Nicodemus the Pharisee who's very puzzled about her healing. And she says, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Look at this with Alma. He was one way. And now after verse 17, he's completely different. And what's in between is the savior, Jesus Christ. Many of us probably can relate to that experience. It's so beautiful. It's it's my favorite part of that chapter. We've covered the story before, but to just look at that moment and the way he tells it, oh, just absolutely fills my heart.
0: Well, and you can see this as a telling of the story to not a group of people to convince them that he has authority to speak or that has some kind of sanction from God. This is a father talking to his son. Yeah. And describing something that was very important to him and hopefully an inspiration to his son to aspire to that kind of revelation.
1: And if we go back and look at what he was doing, he was laboring hard to destroy the church, look how things have changed in verse 24. Right,
0: verse 24, Yea, and from that time even until now, I have labored without ceasing, that I might bring souls unto repentance that I might bring them to taste of the exceeding joy of which I did taste, that they might also be born of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Yea, and now behold, O my son, the Lord doth give me exceedingly great joy in the fruit of my labors. For because of the word which he has imparted unto me, behold, many have been born of God and have tasted as I have tasted, and have seen eye to eye as I have seen. Therefore they do know of these things of which I have spoken, as I do know, and the knowledge which I have is of God. And I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, yea, and in all manner of afflictions. Yea, God has delivered me from prison, and from bonds, and from death, Yea, and I do put my trust in him, and he will still deliver me. And I know that he will raise me up at the last day to dwell with him in glory. Yea, and I will praise him forever. For he has brought our fathers out of Egypt, and he has swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea, and he led them by his power. Into the promised land. Yea, and he has delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time. Yea, and he has also brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem. And he has also, by his everlasting power, delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time, even down to the present day. And I have always retained in remembrance their captivity. Yea, and ye also ought to retain in remembrance, as I have done their captivity. But behold, my son, this is not all. For ye ought to know, as I do know, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. And ye ought to know also that inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God, ye shall be cut off from his presence. Now this is according to his word.
1: That's an interesting phrase to end on. Yeah. If you look at the whole chapter, the whole chiasmus, the poetry. At the very beginning, he starts with, my son, give ear to my word. By the time he gets done, he says, this is all according to his word, speaking of Jesus Christ. So he starts, look, follow me. And he keeps saying things as I have done. Do this as I have done. Give ear to my words because as I've kept the commandments of the Lord and followed him and so forth, it will bring you the promises that are according to his word. It's just a oh, it's just a beautiful chapter.
0: It really is. And there's a phrase that stuck out to me just this last time that I hadn't noticed before, but pay close attention to the way that he speaks in verse 28. And I know that he will raise me up at the last day to dwell with him in glory. Is it possible that Alma has had his calling and election made sure? Maybe. That sounds kind of like someone who has. But at the very least, a testimony of the mercy of God and a testimony of his own desire to serve God and knowing that he is doing what God wants him to
1: do. And knowing that it is only in and through Christ that you are saved. And he has hitched up his yoke to Christ. Absolutely. So
0: let's go on to chapter 37.
1: Welcome to chapter 37. Glad to have you. And now, my son Helaman, I command you that ye take the records which have been entrusted with me. Now, this is interesting because we learn later on, actually all the way in Alma chapter 50, verses 37 and 38, that initially he offered them to the chief judge Nephiha but Nefiha turned him down. Now, I'm not sure what Alma's trying to understand about this situation at the time. And part of it may have to do with Helaman's youth at the time or inexperience. It's uncertain, but he felt that the wisest course was to give it to the chief judge. I think the chief judge must have felt the weight and responsibility of that and wanted to make sure it stayed with the high priest of the church. Anyway, it's interesting to consider.
0: It is interesting to consider, but also picture this. We had the records and sacred items with the king, with the political leader, King Mosiah II. They were given to Alma the Younger. Now, Alma the Younger was both the political leader as the chief judge and the high priest as the head of the church. So did Mosiah give it to the church? Or did he give it to the state, as it were? And so I think that might be part of the confusion. And I think maybe part of Alma felt that, oh, well, maybe this is a state thing and we need to keep it with the chief judge. But yeah. Nephi has ruling on it is no, that needs to stay with the church.
1: Well, I kind of respect him for that. I do too. At verse 2 And I also command you that ye keep a record of this people according as I have done upon the plates of Nephi and keep all these things sacred which I have kept, even as I have kept them, for it is for a wise purpose that they are kept. Now, just a reminder, there was a time when there were the small plates, which was primarily the religious record and the large plates, which were primarily the historical record of the kings. By the time they joined together with King Benjamin, there is now just one record, and it includes both the spiritual and the secular things. Verse three, and these plates of brass, which contain these engravings, which have the records of the Holy Scriptures upon them, which have the genealogy of our forefathers, even from the beginning. Behold, it has been prophesied by our fathers that they should be kept and handed down from one generation to another and be kept and preserved by the hand of the Lord until they should go forth unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, that they shall know of the mysteries contained thereon. Now, I'm curious to know if what he means about the information on the brass plates being brought forth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, if that isn't the Bible that he's talking about, since the Bible contains so much of what's in the plates of brass and the Book of Mormon contains so little. If so, then what a wonderful thing. You know, we always think about the great apostasy as like, oh, darkness and the Lord's not doing anything. The Lord was very busy. One scholar called that time that we call the great apostasy, he called it the deeds of the Holy Spirit. And I love to think about that historical period as the deeds of the Holy Spirit. And one of them was to bring forth the information that much of which is contained in the plates of brass in the biblical books for all the world, every nation, kindred and tongue and people. And that before the church was even restored, which is awesome. It's pretty amazing so that they shall know the mysteries contained thereon. Verse 5, And now behold, if they are kept, they must retain their brightness, yea, and they will retain their brightness. Yea, and also shall all the plates which do contain that which is holy writ. Now ye may suppose that this is foolishness in me, but behold, I say unto you, that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, And small means in many instances doth confound the wise.
0: That's a great phrase and certainly a verse that is quoted a lot. There was a quote in the Institute Manual from Elder M. Russell Ballard about the importance of giving heed to small and simple things. This is from General Conference, April 1990. He says, quote, We observe vast sweeping world events. However, we must remember that the purposes of the Lord in our personal lives generally are fulfilled through the small and simple things and not the momentous and spectacular. Great and marvelous events seem to motivate us, but small things often do not hold our attention. Noting that the Leahona worked by faith, Alma stated, Nevertheless, because those miracles were worked by small means, the people of Lehi were slothful and forgot to exercise their faith and diligence and then those marvelous works ceased and they did not progress in their journey. Is our journey sometimes impeded when we forget the importance of small things? Do we realize that small events and choices determine the direction of our lives just as small helms determine the direction of great ships? We need to have family and personal prayers. Study the scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon. Hold family home evenings. Follow the admonition of the Savior to love one another and be thoughtful, kind, and gentle within the family. Through these and other similar small and simple things, we have the promise that our lives will be filled with peace and joy. End quote. Something important to remember. But let's get back to Alma speaking to Helaman. Verse 8, And now it has hitherto been wisdom in God that these things should be preserved. For behold, they have enlarged the memory of
1: this people. Oh, that is such a great phrase. So good.
0: There again, it's about remembering. Remember the discussion about how Father Lehi couldn't remember everything that's on the plates of brass. So it's so important that we have the plates of brass.
1: Yes. Oh, great point. Yeah. Great example.
0: Yea, and convinced many of the error of their ways and brought them to the knowledge of their God unto the salvation of their souls. Yea, I say unto you, were it not for these things that these records do contain which are on these plates, Ammon and his brethren could not have convinced so many thousands of the Lamanites of the incorrect tradition of their fathers. Yea, these records and their words brought them unto repentance. That is... They brought them to the knowledge of the Lord their God and to rejoice in Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. And who knoweth but what they will be the means of bringing many thousands of them, yea, and also many thousands of our stiff-necked brethren, the (laughs) Nephites, who are now hardening their hearts in sin and iniquities to the knowledge of their Redeemer. Just as a reminder, (laughs) he finished a missionary trip to the Zoramites, and so he certainly knows from when he speaks Right. But, wow, so important were the Scriptures. And now, when we're talking about the Scriptures, specifically the plates of brass, think about this, okay? The Lamanites didn't have the Scriptures. So when Ammon and Aaron and his brethren go to preach to the Lamanites, if they were to say to them, well, our fathers said such and such and such, and they didn't have any written record, would you necessarily believe them? Yeah. But the fact that they had... The writings of their fathers to say, hey, look, this is what they
1: said. Well, and what's great so about that important. is when you have that, the spirit then can testify of the truth of that because it testifies of truth. Absolutely. If we are just kind of mixing it up or sometimes it's, you know, we have some facts mixed with non-facts, then you don't get the kind of powerful impact you do by reading those things.
0: Well, and Jay and I certainly have the experience of being so excited about something that we may misquote something or paraphrase something else. (laughs) Certainly. We really need to have what exactly what was said. And it's so so much more powerful. Absolutely. So going on, we have an important moment of a bestowal of sacred things to Helaman in verse 13. Oh, remember, remember, my son Helaman, how strict are the commandments of God. And he said, If ye will keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. But if ye keep not his commandments, ye shall be cut off from his presence. And now remember, my son, that God has entrusted you with these things which are sacred, which he has kept sacred, and also which he will keep and preserve for a wise purpose in him that he may show forth his power unto future generations." I love the fact that Alma doesn't really even know necessarily what this future generation importance is. But he knows that it's important to it.
1: Yeah, that he does. And there's a second testimony in the Book of Mormon, and it becomes Moroni will make sure to include it, and that's the record of the Jaredites. So he takes a moment and he talks about them. If we can use that as a continuation of what he's saying about the importance of preserving these things for future generations— So in verse 21, and now I speak unto you concerning those 24 plates, that ye keep them, that the mysteries and the works of darkness and their secret works, or the secret works of those people who have been destroyed, may be made manifest unto this people. Yea, all their murders and robbings and their plunderings and all their wickedness and abominations may be made manifest unto this people. Yea, and that ye preserve these interpreters. Now, first, why does he want so badly for all of their wickedness to be made known? One reason, you need to have a lens through which to see the consequences of sin. And as you begin to see that wickedness happening, you know the cause of it, whether it's in your own life or in the life of the church or in the world.
0: Well, and I would add that it follows a very distinct pattern. The Old Testament does this, the Book of Mormon does this. It's a cautionary tale. It's a story about a people who may have succeeded and been blessed of God, but then abandoned God and reaped the consequences of it.
1: And we see the signs of what that is. Yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons it's so important. But then he adds this importance of preserving the interpreters. The interpreters were the stones that Mosiah— ends up with gives them to benjamin to mosiah the second that they used to and eventually joseph smith to interpret the records verse 22 for behold the lord saw that his people began to work in darkness yea work secret murders and abominations therefore the lord said if they did not repent they should be destroyed from off the face of the earth and the lord said i will prepare unto my servant gazalem a stone which shall shine forth in darkness unto light, that I may discover unto my people who serve me, that I may discover unto them the works of their brethren, yea, their secret works, their works of darkness, and their wickedness and abominations. By the way, that reference to servant Gezalem, it's unclear if Gezalem is the name of the servant or if it's the name of the stone. But either way, the point is the servant will be given the means whereby to shine forth light to the darkness of these people. And now, my son, these interpreters were prepared that the word of God might be fulfilled, which he spake, saying, I will bring forth out of darkness unto light all their secret works and their abominations, and except they repent, I will destroy them from off the face of the earth, and I will bring to light all their secrets and abominations, unto every nation that shall hereafter possess the land. And now, my son, we see that they did not repent. Therefore they have been destroyed. And thus far the word of God has been fulfilled. Yea, their secret abominations have been brought out of darkness and made known unto us.
0: Now, we've talked about this in a previous lesson, but I think it's important to remember in context That for these people, the people of King Mosiah II and now under the reign of the Judges, these Jaredite plates were their Book of Mormon. This was an ancient record of a people that they didn't know about and their dealings with God and their eventual destruction. It is very significant that they treat this very much as a sacred book of Scripture, much in the same way that we treat the entire Book of Mormon. Now... Let me skip back a few verses to verse 15 and 16. We get a very important warning of a curse and promise of a blessing. In verse 15, And now behold, I tell you by the spirit of prophecy, that if ye transgress the commandments of God, behold, these things which are sacred shall be taken away from you by the power of God, and ye shall be delivered up unto Satan that he may sift you as chaff before the wind. But if ye keep the commandments of God and do with these things which are sacred, according to that which the Lord doth command you, for ye must appeal unto the Lord for all things whatsoever ye must do with them, behold, no power of earth or hell can take them from you, for God is powerful to the fulfilling of all his words." Wow.
1: That's amazing.
0: It is. And for those who are members of the restored Church of Jesus Christ, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like Moroni's warning and advice to Joseph Smith when he received the plates? It should.
1: I hope, too, that we could make sure to apply this to ourselves. How do we treat sacred things? Mm -hmm. Behold, these things which are sacred shall be taken away if we transgress the commandments. These things are intended to bring us closer to God. How do we treat them? And there are the consequences as well as the blessings.
0: Yeah. So going on, verse 32. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but we're right now we're in verse 32. And now, my son, remember the words which I have spoken unto you. Trust not those secret plans unto this people, but teach them an everlasting hatred against sin and iniquity.
1: So this is interesting. There's stuff in the Jaredite records, it seems, that he doesn't want to give to the people directly, maybe to give them ideas. That said, you know, there is a story that we'll get to when we get to the Book of Ether, where a fellow named Jared, not the original Jared, whose brother was the prophet, but a little later on, there's a Jared whose daughter entices him to do wickedly by searching the scriptures not for righteous things but the plans of the evil one <laughs> could you believe using the scriptures for that well it seems that alma wants to make sure that we focus on their wickedness and not necessarily how they accomplished it
0: hmm. preach unto them repentance and faith on the lord jesus christ teach them to humble themselves and to be meek and lowly in heart Teach them to withstand every temptation of the devil with their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them to never be weary of good works, but to be meek and lowly in heart, for such shall find rest to their souls. O remember, my son, and learn wisdom in thy youth. Yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. Yea, and cry unto God for all thy support, Yea, let all thy doings be unto the Lord, and whithersoever thou goest, let it be in the Lord. Yea, let all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. Yea, let the affections of thy heart be placed upon the Lord forever. Counsel with the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. Yea, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord, that he may watch over you in your sleep, and when thou risest in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. And if ye do these things, ye shall be lifted up at the last day.
1: Can you imagine anyone falling into apostasy who just did what he talked about in verse 37?
0: Notice one of the key words in all of this, remember, and to yeah. do everything in the Lord. Yeah. So now we go on to verse 38, and we have a discussion about the Leahona that Lehi received. And now, my son, I have somewhat to say concerning the thing which our fathers call a ball or director, or our fathers called it Leahona.
1: Hey, it's finally got a name.
0: Which is being interpreted a compass, and the Lord prepared it. Interesting side note, that is the only verse in which the name Leahona appears in all of the Book of Mormon. And yet we all recognize that as its name, but this is the only place it's actually mentioned. There it is. And behold, there cannot any man work after the manner of so curious a workmanship. And behold, it was prepared to show unto our fathers the course which they should travel in the wilderness. And it did work for them according to their faith in God. Therefore, if they had faith to believe that God could cause that those spindles should point the way they should go... Behold, it was done. Therefore, they had this miracle and also many other miracles wrought by the power of God day by day.
1: It's interesting to note that the faith had to come first, then the miracle.
0: Yeah, and it's also interesting that he talks about this and many other miracles being wrought by the power of God day by day. That kind of, again, is a likening of the people of Lehi to the people of Israel during the Exodus, mm-hmm. where they had water miraculously provided for them. They had quail, they had manna, you know, so many things, day by day. Yeah, day by day. Nevertheless, because those miracles were worked by small means, it did show unto them marvelous works. They were slothful and forgot to exercise their faith and diligence. And then those marvelous works ceased, and they did not progress in their journey Therefore they tarried in the wilderness, or did not travel a direct course, and were afflicted with hunger and thirst because of their transgressions. And now, my son, I would that ye should understand that these things are not without a shadow. For as our fathers were slothful to give heed to this compass, now these things were temporal, they did not prosper, even so it is with things which are spiritual, For behold, it is as easy to give heed to the word of Christ, which will point to you a straight course to eternal bliss, as it was for our fathers to give heed to this compass, which would point unto them a straight course to the promised land. And now I say, is there not a type in this thing? For just as surely as this director did bring our fathers by following its course to the promised land, Shall the words of Christ, if we follow their course, carry us beyond this veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise?
1: You know, that's, of course, a fantastic object lesson. We have one that might be a useful connection, especially if you're talking with your kids. They may be able to relate to something like a GPS or Google Maps where you have a source that's pointing you in the direction that you should go. It wants you to get to the destination and it has the whole picture. It can see everything. And so it's asking you to make maybe turns and we don't have to follow it. But if we don't, then as they said in verse 43 with the Liahona, they did not prosper. In other words, it will take us longer. We are never irredeemable. The GPS will always recalculate. There's always a way to get there. It just, because of our choices, might take longer, become harder, but it will simply entice, entice, and invite us to follow. And I think the more we do, the more we may have faith. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, because unlike the Liahona, the GPS sometimes screws things up. Sure does. But you get the idea. Your kids might find that as an interesting parallel to that, a modern-day parallel.
0: Well, and going into the Institute Manual again, from April 2006 General Conference, Elder David A. Bednar compares the Liahona to our own gift of the Holy Ghost. He says, quote, As we each press forward along the pathway of life, we receive direction from the Holy Ghost, just as Lehi was directed through the Liahona. The Holy Ghost operates in our lives precisely as the Liahona did for Lehi and his family, according to our faith and diligence and heed. And the Holy Ghost provides for us today the means whereby we can receive by small and simple things increased understanding about the ways of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord can be our guide and will bless us with direction, instruction, instruction, and spiritual protection during our mortal journey, end quote. I love that image. We each yeah. have a Leahona. So let's finish up Alma's advice to Helaman. There in verse 46. O my son, do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way. For so was it with our fathers. For so was it prepared for them that if they would look, they might live. Even so it is with us. The way is prepared, and if we will look, we may live forever. And now, my son, see that ye take care of these sacred things. Yea, see that ye look to God and live. Go unto this people and declare the word and be sober. My son, farewell.
1: What a beautiful Father's blessing.
0: It is, and the phrase to look to God and live doesn't that kind of remind you of choose life?
1: We can choose it. That kind it. of journeying? I love how he keeps using object lessons. You know, the Leahona is a type. The brass serpent is a type. It's a great way to teach. Indeed. Well, does that bring us then to chapter 38?
0: It does indeed. And if you just skipped ahead, welcome to chapter 38.
1: We're glad to have you here.
0: Before we get into the verses of chapter 38, I wanted to point out a general conference talk that some of you might remember from April 2015. It's from Elder Michael T. Ringwood of the Seventy. It's a talk called Truly Good and Without Guile. In this talk, Elder Ringwood talks about his hero, Shiblon. This is someone who isn't really talked a whole lot about in the Book of Mormon, but someone who he really looked up to, and I thought it was an excellent talk as a supplement To anything that we talk about here. But we'll put a link up. Definitely check that one out.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that one up. I remember listening to it in conference and thinking, I never remember anybody having a whole talk on Shiblon, much less knowing who Shiblon is. Right. So let's pay attention to what's great about Shiblon. Let's start in verse 1. My son, give ear to my words, for I say unto you, even as I said unto Helaman, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. I think he told Helaman that twice. It's a very important message. And inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God, ye shall be cut off from his presence. And now, my son, I trust that I shall have great joy in you because of your steadiness and your faithfulness unto God. For as you have commenced in your youth to look to the Lord your God, even so I hope that you will continue in keeping his commandments, for blessed is he that endureth to the end. I say unto you, my son, that I have had great joy in thee already, because of thy faithfulness and thy diligence and thy patience and thy long-suffering among the people of the Zoramites. For I know that thou wast in bonds, Yea, and I also know that thou wast stoned for the word's sake, and thou didst bear all these things with patience, because the Lord was with thee, and now thou knowest that the Lord did deliver thee. You may recall that in the mission to the Zoramites, we get Alma and Amulek, but he brought a dream team of missionaries. We have no idea what anybody else did. But this gives us one small window into the experiences that Shiblon had. So in verses five through nine, he encourages Shiblon and briefly reviews his own conversion story like he did for Helaman. But one of the things I really like about the way he does it for Shiblon is he focuses like a laser beam on the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story isn't to be a great story. It's not for you to feel sorry for him or to think he's great. The point of the story he gives in verse 9, And now, my son, I have told you this, that ye may learn wisdom. What kind of wisdom? He goes on, That ye may learn of me that there is no other way or means whereby man can be saved, only in and through Christ. Behold, he is the life and the light of the world. Behold, he is the word of truth and righteousness. That's what Alma wants us to get out of his conversion story. Only through Christ are we saved. Verse 10, and now, as ye have begun to teach the word, even so I would that ye should continue to teach, and I would that ye would be diligent and temperate in all things. See that ye are not lifted up unto pride. Yea, see that ye do not boast in your own wisdom, nor of your much strength. Use boldness, but not overbearance. And also, see that ye bridle all your passions, that ye may be filled with love. See that ye refrain from idleness. These are interesting things for him to say, considering that he just laid out all these great things about Shiblon, but these are great reminders to us all because we can all fall into this. Being temperate, not being lifted up in pride, using boldness, but don't be overbearing. And bridle your passions. What's great about that phrase for me is it doesn't mean don't have them. Passions are great, mm-hmm. but make sure that you are in control of them. That's what the bridle's for and not the other way around.
0: That's a key phrase. And if you have never been horseback riding or anything similar, you may not understand that. But the purpose of the bridle is not necessarily to prevent the horse from moving anywhere. It's to help guide the horse in the direction that you want to go. It's to focus. There's a great quote that I found in the Institute Manual from Elder Bruce C. Hafen of the seventy. It's from a book that he wrote with his wife Marie. The Belonging Heart he says, quote, Is self-denial wise because something is wrong with our passions or because something is right with our passions? Alma taught his son, See that ye bridle all your passions, that ye may be filled with love. He did not say eliminate or even suppress your passions, but bridle them, harness, channel, and focus them. Why? Because discipline makes possible a richer,
1: deeper love, End quote.
0: You know, that's such I a great
1: reason if you're going to talk to your youth, well, anybody, but let's say you're talking to your youth, young men and young women, about the law of chastity or other things that are part of learning discipline. That may be a powerful thing for them to recognize. One of the things that will happen when you learn self-discipline is you will be filled with a deeper richer love. So, let's take a look in verse 13 and continue on. He gives him some additional advice. Do not pray as the Zoramites do, for ye have seen that they pray to be heard of men and to be praised for their wisdom. Do not say, O God, I thank thee that we are better than our brethren, but rather say, O Lord, forgive my unworthiness, and remember, my brethren, in mercy, yea, acknowledge your unworthiness before God at all times. One reason might be that helps to put us in perspective, like King Benjamin did. And may the Lord bless your soul, and receive you at the last day into his kingdom, to sit down in peace. Now go, my son, and teach the word unto this people. Be sober, my son. Farewell. That's interesting because that was the same thing he told Helaman at the end, to be sober.
0: He did. What does that word mean? So I looked it up in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Now, many of us are familiar with the fact that if you are sober, you are not drunk on alcoholic beverages, for example. But I think there's a couple of definitions in the 1828 Webster's that really kind of fit more to what Elmo is talking about to his sons. It means having the regular exercise of cool, dispassionate reason. Also, calm, not under the influence of passion. That kind of goes along with the notion of bridling your passions. Right. You know? And so it's interesting that we have a lot of admonitions for Shiblon not to get caught up in worldly trappings of pride and you can look at that out of context and say well he was an arrogant person and alma was trying to take him down to size but look at the earlier verses it would seem that he might have a lot of things that he could be prideful about he was a remarkable person yeah and keeping our pride in check is good advice for any of us
1: yep Which is what's so great, I think, about this counsel to Shiblon. It's the everyman counsel. It really is. We're not necessarily what Helaman's going to become or what Helaman is, but a lot of us are like a Shiblon, and so this is really good counsel for us.
0: Indeed. Well, we've had a lot of good counsel with these readings. I found another quote in the Institute Manual that I wanted to include here at the end because of its encouragement in reading the Scriptures. This is from Elder David A. Bednar from A CES Fireside for Young Adults, February 4th, 2007. He says, quote, The scriptures contain the words of Christ and are a reservoir of living water to which we have ready access and from which we can drink deeply and long. You and I must look to and come unto Christ who is the fountain of living waters by reading, studying, searching and feasting upon the words of Christ as contained in the Holy Scriptures. By so doing, we can receive both spiritual direction and protection during our mortal journey." End quote. Amen. I hope you've had the opportunity to read these three chapters this week. And if you haven't, maybe take some time now. It won't take long.
1: Not at all. And you'll benefit from it. You sure will. Thanks for letting us share in your scripture study today and we'll look forward to being with you next time.
0: We'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
1: But we're really big fans.